Hi, this is Sonia Wolga, and welcome to Bookish, my podcast where I talk to interesting people about the five books that have shaped them most. This episode, my guest is actor John Hamm. If you don't know who he is, you've been living under a rock for the last 10 years. But in case you don't, he's the actor, director, and producer who is best known for playing the iconic Don Draper on AMC's Mad Men. He also directed two episodes of the show. He has received 16 Emmy nominations for his performances in Mad Men, 30 Rock, and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Other TV credits include Black Mirror, Parks and Recreation, and Wet Hot American Summer. Movie roles include Bridesmaids, Friends with Kids, The Town, and most recently, Baby Driver. John was kind enough to let me talk him into being my guest and interview him in his home in LA. John, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Welcome to my podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you. Welcome to my home. Um, thank you for having me in your home. Um, are you a reader? Are you reading now? Um, I am a reader. I'm a sporadic reader, and I go in spurts, which I guess is the same thing. Hmm. Um, but I, like you, studied uh, literature in college and um, don't read enough anymore uh, because of work and other things mm-hmm. and it's usually like I said I go in spurts and, and when I get recommendations um, I generally follow up on them and then remember why I liked reading so much in the first place mm-hmm. so. do you have things you prefer do you do short stories or novels or um, I, I, for the last I guess for the last maybe decade or so I've been on a huge nonfiction kick oh really for whatever reason and um, I tend to gravitate toward uh, these sort of explosions on one small thing. So they were really in vogue for a while, but there were stories about like rats in New York City, a book called Rats. Mm-hmm. Salt, a book about yeah. like, the salt trade. Yeah, I love that one. Um, there's a book that I recently read called The Box, which is about the rise of the shipping container in the 60s. That's which is so specific. Very okay. specific, but oddly <laughs> enough, had a very like profound impact on my life because my father and my father's father and my father's father's father, three generations of hams, uh, were in the trucking industry, in the heavy hauling industry. No way. And what ended up happening in the 50s, 60s, and 70s with the advent of the standardized shipping container is that interstate trucking gave really gave way to uh, rail and, and container shipping. Uh, as a way to move things uh, more efficiently and cheaply. Because uh, the, literally the because the box shape was regulated yeah. and it changed it that much, mm-hmm. which then impacted your entire family. Mm-hmm. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Did you know that when you started the box, that that was where it was going to go? I had, read a, I had read a review of it at some point, literally randomly. Right. And was like, hang on a minute, let me, this sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, and the and the review was, was really well written and, and fascinating and I picked it up and I, and I, uh, I've turned several people onto it, so... That's so cool. I don't remember who wrote it, but yeah. it's called The Box. Um, I like it. Does the um, does fiction just not appeal right now? Um, it, it, it's, it was less appealing, and I, and I think mostly because the the way in... You know, there's so much... It's hard to say this about that, but there's so much bad fiction out there, mm-hmm. or, or, or less... Um, no, there are shitty books. Yeah, and le- or, or less, I guess, less um, thought-provoking. You know, kind of the beach reads. You mm-hmm. know, like this. The, the, those are the ones that tend to get all the, the press and the and the uh, excitement. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, eh, it's like it's like a, it's like fast food. You're mm-hmm. just like, okay, that's fine, but mm-hmm. I'd like something that makes me think a little more 
um, deeply about something. Do you finish a book if you've started it? Is that something you're compelled Almost to? Almost always, unless I really, really viscerally don't like it. Right. Uh, even if I think it's like, okay, I'll, especially fiction, I'll get to the end of the story and want to see how it ends. Yeah, I do not. I, 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 would, I was talking about this with someone the other day. I have just so learned to let myself off the hook with this. I didn't. Yeah, I will throw it across the room <laughs> unapologetically if well, I'm disgusted with it. That's impressive. I, I, I don't. I guess I don't read enough that if I've if I've sunk the time and effort to to pick up the book and get it get it going, get it going then yeah. I'll be like, all right. Well. I find reading on the Kindle has liberated me hugely because it feels so disposable on the Kindle yes. in a way that when there's actual print in my hand, I I am so much more cognizant of the effort and the uh, just the time that has gone into that that I'm probably more reverential towards it there's something about the Kindle that just makes me like oh cue up the next one I'm yeah gone. and I think uh, the, the, the positive side of that is that it's it's so much easier to acquire books mm. somebody says gives you a recommendation yeah. and in 35 seconds you can have it on yeah. some device yeah. and share it all across and yeah. I don't mind reading uh, I don't mind reading from a screen either I don't, I don't, I'm not some sort of purist that way I don't mind I've I uh, what changed it for me was having kids actually because first of all obviously the ease of the Kindle and I devour books so I need to be able to take as many as I can yeah. with me but it was um, the minute my little one Billy who's now four got more aware and sort of conscious of what her parents were doing I suddenly realized I wanted her to see me holding books mm -hmm. that her seeing me on yet another screen she has no way of knowing whether no. I'm on an iPad or whether I'm reading a script or whether I'm looking at the yeah. New York Times there's no way of differentiating that unless she sees me hold a book right. and if I want to instill the love of literature in her that I have then it felt to me really important so I've, I've gone back to books for I, get that. As much I as mean I, I definitely get that and I think that you know for whatever reason I growing up in the 70s and 80s, in an era pre-electronic entertainment of mm. almost every kind, uh, books were all I had. Mm. I mean, it was it was books and magazines. Was and it a big I, part in your family? Was that were you raised a reader? Yes. Were they readers? Yeah, and 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 because that's what you did. Mm -hmm. I mean, there there wasn't it. Sure. It wasn't it wasn't a put on or it wasn't some kind of a way to set yourself up as someone more intelligent or better or anything. It was just like there was nothing else. There was nothing else. Right. Music. That was it. Right. Music and books. Right. Uh, and the radio. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I was a single kid, I mean, a single mom and an only child. So mm -hmm. I literally was like, if I wasn't outside playing sports or mm -hmm. at school, that was all I had was right. books. Right. I mean, I'm, I remember being a little kid and, and, and reading stuff that was way inappropriate for me yes. just because it was in the, it was around. Yeah. Uh, the Godfather, I remember Mario Puzo's Godfather. There's some like, serious <laughs> fuck scenes in there. And I was literally like, whoa. Like, Sonny Corleone is getting it on. Um, How old do you remember? I mean, it must have been, I've, was my mom was still alive, so I must have been single digits. Really? Um, but being like, oh, whoa. Wow, I'm not sure um, I should be reading. Roots. I mean, Alex Haley's yeah. Roots, which is a doorstop. I yeah. Mean, I was just sort of, there's nothing else to do, so I yeah. just read it. I relate. I didn't, I didn't, I'm sure I didn't comprehend in any deeper way, or, or you know, was, I, could, I could get the story. Yeah. I'm sure I didn't comprehend it at a, any anything larger than a kid level. Right. But I liked it. Yeah. You know, I liked sitting there. It was contemplative, and it was relaxing, and it was... Yeah. 
fun and it passed the time and, and it's also I liked that my mom liked me too. doing it yeah exactly I was going to say that. that felt like certainly I, I too was a single child of, an only, of a single mother and I feel like there was something um, like bulletproof about reading nobody was going to fuck with me and tell me to tidy my room right. or do my homework or do anything else so there was there was that element of like you're not going to touch me if you see me with a book mm-hmm. and then there was the companionship and the absence of brothers and sisters that I with retrospect longed for I don't think I remembered actively longing for them at the time but mm-hmm. I look back on it and I'm like oh yeah you 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 needed a friend really well, badly and that's, and that's you know that's one of the that's one of the real benefits it's sort of like especially for anybody that ends up in the, in the creative field is is exercising that at a young age yeah. you know and, and, and really thinking about other worlds and other things and make believe and, yeah. and I, to this day I, I cannot write but to this day I, I'm, I'm mystified by the process of sitting down and, and writing a novel. I know many novelists and friends of mine and, and, and many writers and, and it's, it's, oh, it's just fascinating to me. Mm. I have no concept of how to do it. You don't uh, do it at all. You don't, do you I journal? Do you, do you nothing? No. no. I mean, I, I find answering emails to be <laughs> fatiguing. fatiguing. <laughs> like it's, it's really, I, I really am not, I'm not good at it. Yeah. Uh, but I do love reading. Mm. I love consuming uh, the written word. I just don't like manufacturing it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> which was your um, your first book that you picked was? Well, you put them in order that you want. Which was the one that you wanted to? I don't know what order I put them in, honestly. The I, one I, I have first done is the right stuff. Yeah, tell me I which think that's, let's do that first because it's, it's the only nonfiction one that I picked. Mm-hmm. Um, How old were you when you read that? I was in, I must have been in college because I think I read it as part part of it as an anthology. In an anthology. Anthology of Tom Wolfe or just, of just all American literature? Right. American uh, fiction, nonfiction, everything. I should and say this is The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe and it was published in 1979. It goes about 1,200 pages. It's another wow. big old doorstop wow. of a book. They made an amazing movie out of it. Phil Kaufman made it with every character actor in his 40s mm-hmm. ever. Um, and I guess it was in the 80s when that came out. It was a wonderful film. Really, really beautiful film. And it's a really amazing book. It, and it basically talks about um, the space race. Right. And picking the people with, quote unquote, the right stuff to go up into space mm-hmm. for the first time mm-hmm. in the 60s. And it deals with Cold War politics and and all of the infighting and back and forth between the Soviet Union and, and the U.S. at the time. Uh, and, and it's Tom Wolfe's prose is just so engaging mm-hmm. for what could be, unless you're a space nerd or a, or an army nerd or a politics nerd or whatever, it, it's, it's, it's engaging on so many different levels mm. that I literally read a chapter that was anthologized in this giant book that we had as a textbook. And I picked up the, the book and read it cover to cover. Were you, were, was space something you were interested in as a kid? Was there like any, astronaut? Any little boy growing up at that particular right. time, especially with the space shuttle and all that stuff, that was definitely a, an exciting thing to think about. And I remember seeing the, the movie and Sam Shepard played Chuck Yeager and mm-hmm. Chuck Yeager had come out with an autobiography around the same time, late eighties. And he was kind of considered the coolest guy in the world. Oh, really? I mean, he was a test pilot and he tested all the things. He broke the sound barrier and, and and they, you kind of look at that as again as just sort of an icon of masculinity mm-hmm. and thinking like wow this guy is so cool, and then you have 
all the other Apollo astronauts right. who are just as awesome. Right. And they get picked and he doesn't. Right. Why was he not picked? He's too old. Really? That was all it was? Considered to be too old. And he was, what, 40? 40, maybe that. Maybe. Right, right. I mean, but it was like he was on the wrong side of whatever the dividing line that they determined was. Mm -hmm. And he was, um, there may have been a college thing that he didn't have, something. It was like he just didn't, he didn't have the right stuff. Wow. Even though he had it in spades. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's a good read and it's a great film. Mm. I should see the movie. Did you? You'd love the film. I'm sure. Did you, um, did you read it and feel like there was something to relate to? Is there, was there an element of like this being chosen or not chosen or what the right stuff was? Or is it? I think I really got, I think I really got engaged. I, I, I the one thing I keep coming back to, and I've read tons of Tom Wolfe since before and since, mm -hmm. is that it was just such a fascinating way to tell that story really? it was so it was so immediately engaging and drew you in so fully to this world that is so especially for a, a, a young man like mm -hmm. it was so uh sexy and mm -hmm. cool and exciting and dangerous and and exotic and you know i was never i didn't, didn't I was never in the military or anything like that but the idea that these guys were literally risking their lives on right. something that could explode at any second. At any second. Yeah. You're literally sitting on top of a giant pile of fuel yeah, and hoping it goes right. Praying for the best. And, yeah. you know, they have families and they have kids and they have 30-year careers and all of this technical knowledge and expertise. Of, I've always been interested in, interested in flying. I've have never, you? I've never been it? able to do it. And I don't think, I think that ship's probably sailed to mix metaphors, but, uh, well, you could do a pilot's license, couldn't you? you yeah, I guess, really but I, to? you know, I, it's, uh, there's some time involved, some time, and <laughs> fair, fair amount of risk. Fairly. Yeah. Uh, and so I've always been fascinated by people for whom that seems second nature. Yeah. The idea of moving in three dimensions, I get, I get immediately confused. Yeah. Um, although Did, I'm a really good swimmer, so yeah. It's funny, isn't it? It's also like, does your family, is there any history of them? Are any of them, were any of them risk takers or, or adventurers? You know, my grand, my, my mother's father, my grandfather on my mom's side was a Navy man. and He was in the Pacific mm -hmm. conflict and was one of those guys that just knew how to do everything. Mm. He could tie a bunch of knots and he knew mm -hmm. how to fish and hunt and kill and all that stuff. And you were just like, and fix anything, any yeah. engine, you know, he, right. was, he, he ran the, uh, the launch that went back and forth from the big boats to the shore. Mm -hmm. So he was the guy in charge of that. Right. He had to ride back, back and forth from shore. He was your guy. And so he had to fix, you know, the engines constantly crapping out or whatever. Just, he could fix anything. Yeah. And it was, a, after having lost my mother, uh, when I was 10, I spent a lot of time with my grandfather, her father. With him? In summer times mm -hmm. and when I wasn't in school. And it was, you know, it was like Opie and Andy. I mean, it was literally right. like he would take me fishing and, and hunting and, Fun golfing, just fun stuff. Was he a reader? I don't think so. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds more of a man so. of action. Yeah, I don't think he was sitting around with a lot of books. Yeah. It's funny because I, I, the reason I was asking is, you know, it's when I, um, you talk about the astronauts and the sort of love or the willingness to embrace danger, even if you don't love it, then at least the willingness to sit with the uncertainty of it. And I, I was thinking about my dad who was a, a extraordinary and larger than life man who deserves his own podcast but among many other things was a formula one racing car driver mm. and a polo player and a skydiver and a, a, a i would argue a professional adrenaline junkie mm -hmm. and 
I think how extraordinary that we are related that I <laughs> and I'm not particularly risk averse but you couldn't pay me money to jump out of an airplane I mean you just couldn't pay me money to do it or whereas I suspect my dad would have jumped at the opportunity to go to the moon or to, yeah exactly um to to like to take on something like that and yeah. sometimes I feel like books have become this like I'll read my father passed away very suddenly last year and I one of the things I did was I went to Argentina for his funeral and I took from his bedside table the book that he was reading so that I could have so that I could read what he was reading uh -huh. and so there's there's a lovely and I still have it by the bed and I dip into it and I there's a kinship in finding in finding him on the page in even though and I'm I'm you know I, I miss him for a myriad of reasons but I am there's part of me that reads this book and wishes wishes I could ring him and go, why was that page turned right. down? Why was why was that why was that one important to you? What what did you love in that story? Mm -hmm. And so I guess that was what I sort of was curious about whether when if the right stuff struck a chord is like is there was there a degree to is there a degree to which you read and find yourself or your family or your you know? I, I would say probably if you're looking at the rest of the list of my books, there's a lot more in other ones, that, in other ones of that particular sensibility in the other choices. In yeah. fact, I, when I, I, I pulled those, I pulled that list out and kind of realized it after the fact that, that some of them had an awful lot in common. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's not so much this, I think, you know, this was, this was a, this is a book for me that was a real good, like a great film. I hate, mm. to, I hate to keep comparing mm, no, no, no. but like a real great dose of like escapism. Mm -hmm. Of just like what fun it must have been to be these guys at this time. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't you could die tomorrow, right. or you could be literally on the cover of Time magazine, right? And that's what happened, right? Or you could go to the moon, or and you can go. And you can go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean it's that yeah. kind of stuff. Or yeah. you could be the first American in space, yeah, and be the first person to have that perspective. Looking back on the, yeah. I recently read a a story, a script. And two of the characters are astronauts, and they talk about how having that singular experience, mm. that completely unique take, mm. is really hard. Because mm -hmm. you come back here, and everybody's the same, but you're different. Yeah. And it's really, really, it's a real shift. Yeah. And it's a wonder, the script is wonderful. It's really about these two people who are kind of broken, and they're broken in the same way. Um, but it's it's a it's an interesting thing to think. I, I, I think that's what resonated for me with the story of that. Like mm. th these guys have something that no one else has. Right. And you think about it even now. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's probably like a hundred people that have been in right. space right. in the history of the world, right. in the history of mankind. Right. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. Have and, you, and exciting. Have you read it since college? I've dipped back into it a few times because yeah. I, I do recommend that book a lot to people. Because it's so daunting, mm -hmm. you know, it's such a big book, mm -hmm. and I'm always like, just Don't you will you will get into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, you will definitely get into yeah. it. Yeah, especially like my guy friends. Yeah, like, you're gonna love this. Yeah. Your um your next book, or the one that came next on your email, was a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, which is Dave Eggers. I loved this book when it came out. I just loved it. And it's I realize it's 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 not fiction. It's a memoir. Um, it's a uh, I read that book when it came out, which must have been 95? Yes, I have, uh, oh, I 
did I lost it? Yes, I think that's exactly it. Was around because yeah. it was right around when I came to LA. Mm-hmm. And uh, and obviously I was so I was twenty four, twenty five, right around there. This this his story is weirdly similar to mine is in the it? sense of him sort of like losing his mother, take, trying to take care of his younger brother. I don't have any younger siblings. Um, trying to find his way, right. you know, and, and, and trying to determine, at least the way I remember, I have not read it in mm. a long time, trying to determine like what to do with what he's got. Mm. And I think there was a sense of like understanding that you have some ability and some talent and something to give mm-hmm. and not knowing how to go about that. Right. And I found that to be remarkably resonant in my life as I'm driving across the country by myself with $150 in my pocket yeah. in my shitty 1986 Toyota Corolla <laughs> that overheats <laughs> a few, few drives longer than an hour at a time. And, and thinking like, well, this is it. This is where I'm going and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I don't know what the right answer is. And I don't know what the wrong answer is. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if there is an answer. Mm-hmm. I just know that I really want to do this thing. And this is where I have to go to do it. Yeah. Um, so that part of it really, and the, his writing is, is, is spectacular. Fantastic, wasn't it? Uh, it just, it's just, he's so smart and so clever and so funny and so specific. And it came right at the time he's, Dave Edgar started a magazine called Might, M-I-G-H-T. Yeah. That I remember getting when I was just out of college and going to like the cool bookstores. Because it was a weird little funny magazine that was kind of a literary magazine, but it was also kind of a jokey magazine. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being a huge fan of that magazine and then reading in the book that he started that I was like, wait, what? That's weird. I did not put those right, two things right, together. Right. And the book obviously came out with a huge amount of well-deserved acclaim. And it was also kind of right at the time when all the Jonathans were starting to yes. come out with all of their uh, interesting, you know, everything is everyone or whatever that book was. Everything is Second illuminated. Floor. Yeah, everything yeah. is illuminated and the corrections yeah. and uh, all of the lethems and the yeah. um, all those folks. And, it's, and it was... There was a lot of it at once, but his book was the first one that I read that really shook me up. I mean, The Corrections is another book that I remember reading and going like, oh, this is a has a bizarre resonance in my mm-hmm. life because it's, it takes place in St. Louis. Oh, really? Um, and like a lot of those. Jonathan Francis first, well, one of his other books called The 27th City, I read a long time ago, and it was about, it's about St. Louis, which mm-hmm. used to be fourth biggest city in the U.S. and then by the late 60s it was the 27th city oh, what right. had happened in the intervening time right which also weirdly mirrored my family's like kind of dissolution of, of power and place and stuff but anyways that's neither here nor there the the idea of this kind of lost soul child moving into adulthood growing up figuring out what he's got to do losing a parent trying to be responsible mm-hmm. and also trying to speak to his, uh, the, 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 taking care of his own talent, taking right. care of his own life, right. uh, was, was really, was really, uh, 
meaningful to me. Yeah, I agree. I find him, I find that book hugely moving, and I agree. I, I remember it coming out with a crop of other very um, self-aware, if not self-conscious, mm-hmm. literary voices that were all sort of emerging at the time. And I, 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 I found his um, truthful in a way that I really you, you feel it it's like when you're it's like when you watch a performance and you you have a visceral your body responds long before your brain does I think well it's also it's also uh, you know it was kind of right at the beginning of the internet coming it was just right on the cusp of the mm-hmm. internet coming out so people had like chat rooms and AOL and things right. like that and it was so it was kind of the first time where there could be sort of group think reviews in a weird way uh-huh. and fact checking because right. not too long after that was when James Fry's book came oh, out also a memoir what was and that? Then it was, handful it was of lies million, no. pieces. <laughs> handful of lies <laughs> um, and, and, and the internet got it and yeah. people were like this is not this is a betrayal truthful. This is not, yeah exactly um, but Dave's really felt truthful yeah and by all accounts was yeah. I mean um, in fact a, a friend of mine actually went either went to high school with him or down the road from him, but knew the family and said, oh, yeah, I was the really the real thing. Yeah. So I, I was really, I was really moved by it. Mm. And, and in a way that I hadn't been, and in a completely different way that I was kind of inspired and moved by the story and the right stuff. You right. Know, it was way more personal, way yeah. more sort of emotional. Sure. Um, and I'm I'm a sucker for like dead mom stories. Like the, the, the terms of endearment, I'm done. Like yeah. you know, it's like dead mom, dead dog. With good reason. And that's pretty much it. That's all it takes to get me going. Do you cry in books? I have sure. Yeah. The next two, in fact, are ones that really get me. I think I put them. Next, or no, did I put the Irving books last? Yeah, no, no. They, I think they're next. You have yeah two Irving books. Um. Yeah. The 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 next two, I really. We re- found a really emotional. I, the two John Irving choices that I put: the World According to Garp and uh, and uh, the Prayer for Owen Meany. I remember reading those kind of back to back, and I remember my. Is this possible? My mom. Somebody had the World According to Garp because I remember the. I remember the. Uh, Armadillo. No. No. That just was, that's just the uh, the. Uh, Font. The font mm-hmm. of, of the cover or something. Mm-hmm. Right. There's some weird visceral memory I have. Yeah, funny. And I remember liking Robin Williams a lot because I liked mm-hmm. Mork and Mindy and he was in the movie. Yeah. I'm thinking like, I want to read that book. Uh-huh. How and old were you? There was no it? way I would have understood that book right. at that age. It was just way too, way too young. I mean, I must, I was, again, I must have been pre-10. Gop came out in 1989. Does that make sense that your mom could your mom have owned uh, no, it? No, then it wasn't her. It must have been my dad or right. maybe some friends of mine's. Um, but I read it in, uh, right after college and it was one of the first books that I read. I read Own Meanie and then Garp mm-hmm. kind of back to back. And then I kind of worked my way all the way through, uh, Irving's back catalog. Really? Yeah. I think he's got some mom stuff in his past, uh-huh. like, uh, but those, those, again, just the, his style is so phenomenal and it's so, it was so welcoming mm. as a reader. He's a, he's a, he's a simple, spare, and yet beautiful storyteller. Mm. And when you think about the story of Garp, it's such a weird, specific. I had to go back. Well, I've, I've, I've read both of these books and I don't remember a word of them. I mean, I'm famous for this. I've read 
a uh-huh. ton and I remember the six books maybe that I've read so that's why I was asked for the books ahead of time so I can go off and look them up and remind myself or, or, or get to know something for the first time and I was rereading reading the Wikipedia entry for the plot of, of it's bizarre, it's and the I was craziest. like oh fuck I remember yeah. this the nurse jacking off the guy to get the sp- like that's how Garp's born that's and the whole born. story of origin and then what I had forgotten what I'd forgotten and then immediately remembered was all those stories all the narratives that are implanted within the garb so there's all the like little stories that are all the meta stories that are within it there's a there's this, a, a novel that he writes there's a story that's that there's the novel that the novel. mother writes yeah there's she like, becomes novel. yeah very famous right and starts in the ellen james society and then and the, the, right. the transgendered guy played amazingly in the film by john lithgow um it's so, it's again, it's another one that's just absolutely heartbreaking in, in the end. Um, and, and I just loved it because it was so wildly original. I was right. like, I just never, I, right. never, I could never come up with a story yeah, it's true. this crazy and make it make sense. Yeah. It doesn't feel fantastic. It's right. like reading a Harry Potter story and then Dingle Dong goes to Dribble Blorp and like, <laughs> it's not that stuff, which has its place, but it's sure. for children. Yeah. Like these are real people with really crazy fucked up stories like all of us have. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's wildly, wildly uh, compelling and entertaining at the same it's time. It's And emotional for Yeah. Me. It's interesting too because it's almost as that like um, the improbability of his plot twists and his contrivances somehow because they are so specific mm-hmm. become immediately recognizable. And it's, a, it's a theme in all of his books. Right. You'll see it in all of his books if you do a deep dive on Irving. Even back to like the Hotel New Hampshire, she you know, has like a dancing bear and like all this crazy, right. crazy pet bear or something. I forgot. I haven't read it forever. But his families are so weird. Mm-hmm. Like they're all just crazy misfits. Right. And you definitely see it in something like Owen Meany where the title character is this one-off. Right. This weird, tiny boy who has a crazy high-pitched voice and, and his best friend is the narrator who's telling the story of, of how this boy changed his life basically. Mm. And it becomes very, it gets, it gets very deep and spiritual and talking about, uh, religion, which I am not practicing anything. I just, religion Did you grow doesn't up have in it Catholicism big time. Mm-hmm. And my mom died and I checked out. Um, but his is, Religion's another one that takes is which is weird for Irving because it's so New England and so like buttoned up right, sure. uh, Protestant uh, stuff. And Owen, I think I may mean, I get this horribly wrong. I think Owen is like a devout Catholic, right? In like the New England Congregationalist, like and a sort of stand in for Jesus. No, isn't there? Essentially, some, yeah, isn't that's there, a real big part of it. And it's a real. It, yeah. It's a the last quarter of that book is just devastating. And I remember reading it when I was a waiter in St. Louis and I was so engrossed with the book that I had it on me at all times. Uh-huh. So I'd just be sitting there when I'm ostensibly at work. Sobbing. Yeah, like reading this book and being like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it through this dinner. And 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 and, and, and so compelled. And yeah. literally people are like, you gotta take those people's <laughs> orders. Fucking table. Like, yeah. Go work. That's so um, funny. Yeah, there's been a few books like that that I've that I just I couldn't physically put down. And yeah. Owen Meany, I think, was the first one um, that was I was on so many levels was was just really uh, devastated by. Yeah, was your mum a reader? 
far as I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, we had a lot of books around. Right. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have much time with her, so we didn't really get to talk much. I know that you said it earlier. It was a phrase that I found interesting. You said something about inspiring a love of reading, inspiring a love of learning, which is something I've said to when I was a teacher and, and when I've gone and like raised money for my school and I've talked about how important it is to inspire in kids the, the idea that learning is not, it's, it's, it's better. It's more important than learning is fun. You guys like mm-hmm. it's that it's, it's that it can be an exciting endeavor unto itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should be encouraged in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea of achievement and the idea of learning something sh- it should be celebrated mm-hmm. um, and not looked at as like, oh man, you got to go to work, you know, you got to right. do homework, you right. got to do all that stuff. Or, which is now the kind of current thing of like, oh, you think you know more than me? You're an asshole. Right. Like, fuck you for trying to be smart. Fuck you for trying to be better. Right. And I, I'm, that was the one thing that I got in spades from my mom. It's like, it is not bad to want to be better. Right. It's not cool to be dumb. It's not cool to be dumb. Yeah. But boy, howdy, is it really looking like it's, pretty cool to be dumb these days yeah um when did you teach i didn't know you were a teacher after i got out of college i taught 1993 94 95 in st louis my old high school i went back and taught for a year taught acting public speaking and improv to eighth grade through 11th grade how is that how is that it's great i was 24 it was like so cool and fun and interesting and i got to go back to my school so i kind of knew the of course. You know, knew the ropes and knew where all the hiding places were. Did you not stuff. be like, I don't know what I'm doing still teaching? Or did you be like, I felt pretty good about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a theater scholarship in college. I was an English major with a theater scholarship. So I kind of knew what I was doing. Uh-huh. And I had a pretty pretty good lesson plan given to me by my, my boss. Uh-huh. And, and so I just kind of followed it and was like, guys, look, it's, it's eighth grade theater class. Right. If this is the thing that's going to ruin your day. Right. <laughs> don't worry about it. You know, things look up from here. Yeah, trust me. It's you'll be all right. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the um, self possession. I'm not sure. I mean, at 24, I guess I was working. I needed a job. I no, mean, you know, it's like I was listen. I, there is. I'm. I'm. I'm marveling at the at the resourcefulness that would that would get you to be a teacher. I, I was. I think literally cleaning people's houses. Yeah. I mean, well, I was cleaning people's, you know, plates off in front yeah. of them. You know, like I, I had, I had waited tables for a year and I, the reason I, re, the real reason that I wanted to do it so badly and that I advocated for it so strongly was that I, I really wanted to do something to, to give back to the school that I felt I had taken so much from. Really? Really. Was and it honestly, a safe place? I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's, it was really the case. And I, and I couldn't, I didn't have, I couldn't write a hundred thousand dollar check and sure. I couldn't put my name on a building and I couldn't do any of that stuff. But I, but I knew I could, I could help. Mm. And you know, they were going to pay me. I wasn't doing it for free. But, sure. Um, but that's a lovely sentiment. And I really felt good about it. And, and, and again, like th- in many ways that school kind of saved my life. And, I, and it's because I was busy from eight o'clock in the morning till four thirty. Sure. Uh, in the evening. Mm-hmm. Not and not just physically, but like intellectually, yeah. emotionally, you know, comedically, mm-hmm. socially, every way. Like that thing filled, ticked every box yeah. in my life for six years, mm. from seventh, you know, and six hugely formative years. Sure. Uh, and not only that, challenged me right. to be better, to do better right. in every way. And you know, I was excelled at athletics. I was in the theater department. I was 
honor student. But yeah, so it was it was it was hugely important, and and it and it gave me what ended up being the the kind of foundation for a personality. Right. And and really, when we talk about again, talk about being in the in the creative industries, a foundation for a career. Mm-hmm. And you know a. a, a baseline of interesting things upon which to draw mm. to succeed and to and to want to be responsible and, and aware and professional and cognizant of other people in life. Mm. But it also sounds like it was diverse in a way. You know, I think particularly you know adolescence if it's lonely as mine certainly was, there can be such a tendency to just disappear into one hole of one thing, of, of you know... Yeah, into, yeah, I never had that. It sounds that it sounds like between, you know, the athleticism and the drama... And, the and it was on, that was on purpose. I mean, right. the school's whole founding philosophy was based on uh, John Dewey's, who gave us the Dewey Decimal System. Yes, he did. <laughs> uh, his idea that... Um, his sort of educational idea, which is art, is experience, and experience is education. And so to learn things, you have to do them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's very New England, kind of naturalistic, very Yankee, can-do. But it's great. Mm-hmm. And it works. Mm-hmm. And if you have the means, I mean, obviously, like, the unfortunate sort of situation in current educational philosophy is, like, numbers. It's all numbers. Yeah. Instead of like the numbers don't necessarily tell the whole story, and wouldn't it be nicer if the kids could just do fun stuff? Yeah. Um, no, I agree. It's funny. I went to an, an incredibly academic boarding school um, from the age of eleven to eighteen, and um, won't be sending my children. And I am struck by the fact that for all that time, and as I say, I was. Uh, lonely as a as a kid and and didn't really discover um how to be at ease socially until I started taking acting lessons and they were private ones so it was just me and my teacher and mm-hmm. we did these one-on-one classes and it was it was great and it helped me probably develop a personality that felt robust enough to go out into the world but when I went to Oxford I discovered for the first time an actual love of the experience of learning, not just acquiring knowledge for the sake of passing an exam, but that was something that that place particularly, and I'm sure Cambridge is the same, and I'm sure there are universities here that that develop this, that actively encourage curiosity as something to be fostered rather Mm -hmm. than an adherence to rules or um, a love of a particular um, mean a way of learning. It's, right. It really is not about just regurgitating facts and figures. Right, it's, exactly. It's I mean, I understanding. Re- one of my favorites. I was incredibly good at math up to a point at which math outpaced me. Wow. And I got completely lost. I mean, uh-huh. it was literally. I was I was in the fast track math class until I wasn't. Wow. And I and it was right around senior year so we were we were really getting into kind mm-hmm. of advanced calculus and stuff like that and I literally was like I lost it I don't it. know what's I happening now but I was about fine and I just kind of bumped back down one level and I was like okay I'm better here mm-hmm. but the idea of showing your work mm. in math mm. it's like don't just get the right answer we need to know how you how got you the right that, answer yeah. yeah that was I found that really uh comforting and, and, and interesting yeah. like okay I'll, I'll tell you I'll explain yeah. it to you right and I remember being a really good like I would I was always in class with kids older than me mm-hmm. 
who are often my friends and they were like, I don't understand this. I'm like, okay, let me explain it to you. And I break it down and kind of like help God, people. I could have with done with you in work. my math class. I really it was great. <laughs> and my friends were always like, you're so good at this. I'm like, oh, I get it. I understand it. And I also understood that some people didn't. Right. Like, and it wasn't, you know, something to be ridiculed. It right. It's like, oh, well, let me help. Right. Yeah. You know, it's what friends do. Right. Let me help you out. Yeah. Um, I did not have that friend. As a result, I can barely add. It's all I can do to give the right tip to people. I have an iPhone. I know it's heartbreaking. It's been. But it's been uh, it really it's been is. Phased out of I, I dread the day Billy starts bringing her math homework. I'm like, and Davy, over to you. On this <laughs> I'll teach her Spanish, and she'll read a mean book. She will not be learning Pythagoras' <laughs> theorem from me. Totally fine. <laughs> um, the other book that you had was The Art of Fielding, which is a book that I've been meaning to read forever. Tell me what about why. And uh, again, Because that's fairly recent. That's 2011. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly recent one, and it was recommended to me by several people because um, it has to do with two of my favorite things, boarding school and baseball. Hmm. Um, Were you at boarding school? No, you weren't. No, but, but prep school. Okay. Same, same difference. Uh, and it's about the main character is, is a really great creation He's an undersized middle infielder. I don't even know what that is. Team. Just that's baseball, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We had to clarify even what sport that was. <laughs> that's because I'm English and, and he a girl. is he is this insanely driven, motivated kid who is the best at his position, even though he's undersized. He's a small kid, and his best friend is the catcher on the team. And I was a catcher, mm-hmm. and and one of my best friends played infield. Uh, who was way better than me. And the catcher was like, good, but not great. Mm-hmm. Like, but they're kind of buddies, so they're kind of a, a double act. Mm-hmm. And they end up going along in their career, and he has the horrible thing that happens completely by accident, and it changes his life mm-hmm. uh, forever. But it's set in this academic environment, and it's very, uh, it's a very cool uh, character study. And it's kind of about failure, and it's really sad. Mm. Uh, about but a failure that's that's, that's not, your fault. not your fault. Like sometimes shit happens, mm-hmm. and it also gets into like anybody that's ever done anything physical for for a living or like for especially something as as difficult to do as baseball at a high level knows that razor's edge of luck and talent and everything kind of and keeping it on that. Razor's Edge is is so hard to do for any length of time, mm-hmm. uh, and the people that can do it are just to be marvelled at, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this kid has it for forever. He's, it's 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 second nature until it isn't. Right. Uh, and then he's got to kind of figure out what his life means right. after that. Right. And it's you know I think I read that at a point in my life where I was probably like freaking out about something, but. Uh, wondering because I was definitely while I was doing Mad Men mm-hmm. and probably just wondering like what what's going on with my life and how can I can I can I sustain this yeah I can imagine uh, it sounds like a, do I want to sustain it right is it worth it mm. at what price yeah and, and it, it's, a, it's a wonderful book quick read too mm. I'll try it I, I was put off it because it felt so um, inside baseball <laughs> uh, it does do a great job of I will say it's not it's not like baseball for baseball fans okay because um, I've, I've tackled it I mean I've literally picked it up in bookstores I'm going to say six times and put it down thinking I can't I it's, can't, it's a I really haven't. it's a really uh, 
it does a really interesting job of explaining the kind of fundamentals of, of baseball in a way that's, especially for an English person, mm-hmm. uh, is very accessible. Mm-hmm. But it also sounds, from the way you've described it, it's not about baseball, it's about identity. Oh, and, it's and I mean, baseball. as any of, exactly. Yeah. It's like baseball saying Don DeLillo's written about baseball. It's the same thing. No, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I, I'm, but I'm curious about anything that, that asks, um, asks one to examine what your identity has got fused with or yeah. what you... Well, and also, you know, again, like, here we are in, in, our, in our middle age, mm-hmm. and uh, along with that comes a pretty, pretty hefty amount of life experience. Sure. And it's, to me, it's, there's nothing sadder than the guy who got defined when he was in high school and just stuck there. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Where you're like, oh, buddy. Yeah. This ain't it. Right. And I had a wonderful high school experience, as I've talked sure. about already, but, like, I knew it wasn't it. Right. There had to be more. Right. But... And in many ways, I, w- I wanted to be a professional baseball player. And did I you? Really, yeah, and I still play baseball at a very, very low level, and I'm not very good because I'm so old and tired. <laughs> I realized early on I was not, I was not good enough. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough. Yeah. And if I wanted to work and work and work and work, like the character in this does... I wouldn't have anything else. Yeah. And I wanted the other stuff. I wanted, like, girlfriends and... Life. Uh, life and movies and books and... Yeah. Stuff. I think it's worked out. I think it's been okay, John. I think leaving... It's I think letting, okay. letting, letting, yeah. letting baseball... I think that's worked out for you. Yeah, I think... Um, no, I, I'm, I'm curious about what you say that about... About our... You know, the, the... The people who've had... Whose heyday was behind them and who's still... Um, heart back on them. I have a couple of friends that spring to mind when, when I think about that. And then I wonder whether I'm not still one of them, whether there isn't still, if there isn't still some part of me that endlessly romanticizes. I think we all have a, a, a piece of that, right? A piece of some kind of, it's what nostalgia is. Mm-hmm. You know, there's right. nothing, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, the, it's when that It's when piece, it gets embedded. Yeah. And when that piece is bigger and bigger and bigger and becomes... The majority, rather yeah. than, than it's when the salt there's more salt than stew. Yeah. You know, it's it's you don't you want the salt as a yeah as a flavor as a flavor, not the whole thing. I agree. I think I find that nothing induces nostalgia like rereading books, books that I've loved. I find, and I, I've talked about this before on the, on the podcast, that there's something so potent. It's why I asked you if you'd reread the right stuff. There's something so potent about revisiting something that has meant an enormous amount to you. Absolutely. And seeing what resonates now and being reminded of who you, who that iteration of you was that first read that book. It's a bit like meeting up with an ex, I find. It's yeah, like, and you've both moved on. You've moved on, and yet, but there's a glimmer of, of, oh, we lived that, and that was, that was I, another me. I remember watching the movie Eyes Wide Shut recently, mm-hmm. which is about a couple that's in a, you know, bad place, mm-hmm. essentially. It's about a lot of things, but I remember seeing it when it came out, late 90s, whenever that was, yeah. and being 20, whatever, and being like, this movie's dumb. It's like, <laughs> what? Okay. It's like, right. it's, it's like weird. Right. They had to like put Masks digital bodies in yeah, front of yeah, people because yeah. there was too much fucking. And right, right. It was just all that. I, I just was remember like, taking years to film. Yeah. Is this movie? And I had no way in. Mm. And I saw it recently, like a year ago, and I was like, Oh. <laughs> oh, you make me want to see it. Just that face makes me want to see oh. it. Oh, 
<laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's, right. it's it's interesting to to see things. And look, I think this is going to sound hokey and dumb, but you know, I don't want to say like books find us at the right time, but they don't. It's you. Well, you know, they do. We find them, and they find us. The ones that I picked here, I can literally remember so specifically just my headspace and, and and thinking you know why am I reading this book right now right it's so weird right um well the image of you waiting tables with one of these in your pocket yeah. is, is a powerful one yeah totally and not a comfort like those, those books are like no, those, are not, thick. those do not like slip it. easily in a Levi's bag no. <laughs> um but yeah and, and even you know and, and I remember reading Heartbreaker Work of Staggering Genius uh when I I think it must have been right when I was when I was moving to LA or it's, it's a long time ago these days. But uh but but it's such a transitory period in my mm. life and reading about other people that are struggling with the same things, it becomes inspiring and it becomes like all great art, something that you can pull out what you need mm. to hopefully sort of fortify yourself for the battle coming. Yeah. And and coming out to LA as you may or may not have had I don't know what your experience was, but like coming from St. Louis, Missouri is not like coming from Oxford mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. West End or I'm, literally you're just like, well, here I, we go. I would argue it is uh, just as lonely and as foreign. Absolutely. Because I remember getting here and after a year having the revelation like, oh, you know what would be easier? It would be easier if everyone spoke German. Or French, because then I would expect it to be foreign. Right. But the illusion that we all speak the same language is is actually perpetuating my sense of isolation mm-hmm. because I keep thinking That's we're why the Brits same. Hang out with each other. Right. When, in, in LA. To begin with, yeah. And, yeah. Unless you're like me and you shun them. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> you expats will stay over there. Ah. I will be here with my American friends. Um, because I, because that was that seemed to me the alternative was just to hang out with the expats at the Fox and Hound and, and drink warm beer, which is part of the reason I fled England. Right. There was the crazy, crazy English I, boy there. I've, I've said that many times about moving to LA. I'm like, you know, there's a reason you're coming here. Embrace it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not New York. Yeah. Yeah, it's not London. Yeah, exactly. It's not any of those things. Yeah. It's LA. Yeah. Embrace it. Go on a hike. Go outside. Totally. Play to its strengths. Yeah. Because if you just sit here and shit on the fact that how it's not these other places, it's, stay home. It's never going to... Exactly. Stay. Because it's exactly that. Because it's never going to be London or the West End. No, I agree. I think I think it was... It was it was isolating and lonely in a very different way, obviously, because everyone's is different. But for me, it just felt like I don't know... I don't, I, how is there kindred here? Like, how will I find anybody who wants to sit and talk to me about books or um, laughs at the things I laugh, who I can poach a cigarette from? Nobody here fucking smokes. It's, like, a, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's much harder than New York in that way. Yeah. Because you're, you're constantly in your car. Yeah. There's, the communities are harder to kind of break into. Yeah. But you do. You like, do. It's like anything else. Yeah, it's like exactly. first day of school. Does you everyone, do. Everyone has a shitty first day of school. No, you do. In my shitty, my last three years, I would say. <laughs> it took me three years to get a job. Yeah. You know, and I and it wasn't for lack of trying. I got yeah. an agent within the first month. I got all this set up, and I was felt like I was incredibly lucky. Like, oh, of course. It's going this. exactly this like it's exactly supposed to go. exactly as it's supposed to go, right? I'm going to launch a magazine I like that. I looked down, I looked up, and then three years later, I didn't have an agent, and I didn't have a job, and I was like, 
had no money and living in a terrible, you know, roommate situation and just thinking yeah. like, yeah, I remember. That. No, I did. I had no roommate because I am an only child and refused to share a room. So it was just me. <laughs> and uh, room. mine was. Yeah, <laughs> I mean still. that. Yeah. No, no, no. But I remember. Uh, I a to share a room at a certain point. It was even worse. Did you? <laughs> yeah, because my buddy had like lost his police or something, and I was like, "All right, you can stay on my couch in my room." <laughs> It's a true low. My true low is that my Philandley, I walked out of my room and saw a quivering peach lying on the floor that had a bite taken out of it, and the peach was still rocking on the floor, which meant that the rat that had bitten the thing out of it was near. That's what that meant. So I grabbed the cordless phone and locked myself in the bath and rang the landlady who lived upstairs and said, I'm in the tub and I am not fucking leaving until you have found whatever that rat is and killed it and despair. I'm literally, I'm here in the tub and you're not getting a check until that, whatever, whatever ate the peach. And she said to me, oh babe, she said, don't have to worry, it's a fruit rat. And I was like, wait, how does putting the word fruit in front of it <laughs> make it okay? How is a fruit rat different from the disgusting vermin that is running around your house? Um, what was the last book that made you cry? Can you remember? <sighs> um, I don't, I don't, I can't pull it off the top of my head. No. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't think. I, the but other you problem do is like books. with living in a in a temporary place like this apartment is that I'm not surrounded, surrounded by, by, by stuff. books. Yeah. And in fact, That's I had such a difference. Both the art of fielding and this other book. I was talking to some friends about. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll lend them to you. You can have them. And then I'm like, oh, they're in a box somewhere. <laughs> I don't even know where they I'll are. I'll lend them to you in my brain. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I can't even like look yeah. around and no, see. No, it's fine. Sorry. Um, what's the book you're most ashamed of loving? Is there one? Do you have books that you feel like... Oh. Like guilty pleasures? Yeah, like I love that. I'm not supposed to love that. Um, you know, I went down a road once when I was a college student of reading like kind of dime store mystery novels. But there was... There's one... Uh, <laughs> series of books by an author named Gregory McDonald who famously wrote the character Fletch, uh-huh. who Chevy Chase sure. played in the movie and the sequel. And there's probably 10 Fletch books uh, that I got into reading because I was really into them. Uh, but the problem was I didn't have any money back then. <laughs> so what I would do is steal them. <laughs> so good. So, I love that Fletch is what you stole. That's Walton fucking books great. books in Florida, Missouri. Oh, um, probably. <laughs> a grand $60. twenty dollars too. Um, is there a book or author you feel guilty about not having read? Um, almost all the like classic British stuff. I've read a, a, a smattering of Dickens. I've never read any of the the big heavy hitters, the Thomas Hardys and the you know the whole like Jane Austen crowd. I just never got into that stuff. You're good. You're good. Really? <laughs> I mean, because it's it's the stuff you're supposed to read if you're I a smart know. person. Or is it, it? Yeah, I mean, I literally you're was like... You're pretty smart, I am. We're all good with you, you not having read You can't get me Austin. involved think... in a book called Jude the Obscure. <laughs> you, yeah. Unless it's really funny. Oh, it's so funny. And I bet it's not. It's really not funny. <laughs> I can clear that one up for I you I think we now. had to read Tess of the Dermervilles 
maybe in like ninth grade and everyone was super excited because there's a sex scene in it. Yes, there is. Like, it's a little bit sexy. Hubba hubba. <laughs> I think it's like a pretty hardcore It's pretty rape, tame. It? It's a rape. Yeah, it's like, a rape on Stonehenge. Like, it's... Why are we reading this? Why are we reading this? And I remember just not liking it. Mm. Oh, fair enough. You'd, also, I think there's a time and a place for that stuff. Like, I think when we're in our impressionable adolescence, Thomas Hardy and Jane Austen is 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 sort of formative. There does come a point. I mean, Jane Austen, I would argue, you can reread. Thomas Hardy, I don't know anymore whether he'd move the dial for me. And he did in my... He did in he my... He did. He used to. He used to. I'm not sure that now, at the ripe old age of 42, that Jude the Obscure would, 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 would do it yeah, for me. It's yeah, funny like, that he's come up, because literally the last... I, I just interviewed... Um, Julie Bowen a few days uh-huh. ago and Jude the Obscure randomly came up for her not as a preference book at all but simply as a reference that we were talking yeah, about so well there's there's books like the where you know remembrance of things past like these 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 kind of tomes tomes these are like huge like mile markers yeah. in, in in a in a literary education I just did not. Say it. <laughs> Nor have I. Remember to that, that was honestly one of the books that I. That was one of the reasons I came up with that question. Is I. I will just freely admit I have not read Ulysses. I have not read Remembrance of Things Past. I've read mm-hmm. passages, but uh, I started Ulysses once, and I was like. Mm. Life may be too short for this. Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. That's your shortcut. That's that a is good a shortcut. One. And that one, that's we had to a read good that one. too in high school, and that was a good one. Yeah. Um, that's another one. I bet that one gets better with age. Yes, probably. I bet that I bet that'd be an interesting one to pick. To reread, up. yeah, for sure. Um, what do you wish you read more of, if anything? I wish I read more of the Spanish and Italian kind of magical realists, hmm. lunatics. Mm-hmm. I had a, I, I never like I never got into Gabriel Garcia Marquez and and my the one that I really liked was this guy called Jorge Luis Borges. Mm. Um, Argentine. You're, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say you're mm-hmm. some South American. I thought yeah, I mentioned heard you say. Um, those his stuff is crazy. Labyrinth, amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's an amazing. Uh, that's a that's a that's an insta recommendation. This labyrinth. It's not easy to get through, but man, is it is it uh, satisfying? Yeah. Um, and then like Italo Calvino and and uh, Umberto Eco. I got pretty. Far down the hole with those guys too. Name of the Rose was I. I Name of the Rose was great. Tuco's Pendulum was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and Italo Calvino is another like crazy, self-conscious eating its own tail. A little bit, yeah, too. like fun stuff. I kind of, yeah. I kind of like those. I, I got away from that. It's, it might be a little pretentious now that I think about it to, to want to do more of those because they are a little like. Isn't it? Highfalutin. But aren't we past the point? I feel like aren't we now at the point where it's not pretentious anymore to like what you like? If, no, if, sure. You know what I mean? Like, if you were twenty-two and telling me that, then I might be like, "Come on!" But, no, but I that's feel where like, I read that stuff. Right, right. Well, me too. I read it probably too young, all of it. But I feel like at this stage, if there are things you want to read, those are the things you want to read. No, no that's shit. It. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no. You know, as long as you're not reading, you know, children's books, it's. Which is what I am reading. <laughs> well, and honestly, it's funny. Uh, with the Harry Potters and the Twilights and all this stuff, with the with the advent of the whole young adult genre, mm-hmm. which I'm of two minds about because I'm like, oh my god, it's amazing because mm-hmm. kids love reading. Dig this, yeah. Yeah, they really like reading those series of books. I read all the fantasy books when I was a little, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the 
swords and sorcerers and dragons mm-hmm. and stuff and all that. that. Why not? If I had Game of Thrones back when I was 11, I would mm-hmm. have been fully committed. Sure. Uh, I read them all, by the way. So you read all those books? All those books as soon as that series came out. George Martin? Yeah, I did. Wow, that's a commitment. I did. I, well, I tried and I was like, oh boy. I devoured them. I devoured them partly out of curiosity in the same way that I read the Twilight books. And I, I just read everything. I'm a fairly voracious reader. Yeah. And, if it's, and if it's up and it feels like culturally it's what's going on, I'm curious. And, and as I say, I'm now unapologetic about putting stuff down yeah. that I can't stand. The George R. R. Martin, I felt... It's so funny. He really did. I devoured him one summer, and I did the whole lot one summer with a gun to my head. I cannot tell you what happens. I mean, it's hilarious. I'll be watching it with Davy, and he'll be like, "Dude, really? Like the red wedding happens, and everybody dies." Sorry, spoiler alert for seasons past. But anyway, I'm like, everybody dies, and I was like, "Whoa, did not see that coming." And Davy's like, "Are you fucking kidding me? You didn't see it coming." And I was like, whoa, totally scary shit. Everybody uh, died. Yeah. So so yes, it was it's 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 brilliantly constructed. It's fast food, it's completely disposable. Yeah. Um I just think like I think there's a time and a place for all of it. It is what it is, whether it's fifty shades of grey or yeah. I, I I just get a little my backup as a person who's got opinions that, you know, when people start saying that that's important I get a little important is a word I would take issue with I don't think I mind the idea that children are reading no neither that's my point it's when adults take it on right 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 like listen Harry Potter is kind of important I'm like well it's for kids it's a children's book about a wizard who talks to owls like there's no second level it's not important there's not right it's not C.S. Lewis it's not yeah yeah. we're not metaphorically getting into right I mean, I guess some of the later, I only read the first couple of them, and I was like, this is for children, this is yeah. not for me. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then I think, you can, you know, you can take issue with some of the quality of the writing and some of those ones that we mentioned, too, because they're a little slap, uh, slapdash. And yeah, sort of, for sure. For sure. But I don't know that you're reading for literary merit at that point. I exactly. mean, you're reading them for just a little hit of something. Um, do you read when you work? And how does it affect if it? Uh, I generally don't. Mm-hmm. I find it distracting, mm-hmm. uh, and I know a lot of people who do, and I'm mystified. Mm. I did a movie with David Strathairn and Jeff Daniels once, and we had just reams of lines, mm-hmm. and it was you know, we had ten pounds of sausage in a five pound bag. We had <laughs> ten pages a day of just blah 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 blah. And I was, and Jeff Daniels was doing a play at the time, wow. and was sitting in between shots reading, reading the play, no, or just reading, reading, reading wow. magazine, newspaper. Wow. And I was like, "What? Wow. How are you not staring at your lines right, right now? Right, right, freaking right. the fuck out! Like, right. And how do you, how are you going to go do a play? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty good at memorizing. It wasn't like I, mean, I got through it, but I was like, "Holy moly! Like, I, I just can't do it." And in fact, I, I don't even like. I have to really be aware of being on my phone too much Mm -hmm. while I'm working because it's just distracting. Yeah. Emails and I mean, I mean, shit happens like life, life happens and having a phone is remarkably helpful in in certain ways, but man, you can, you can go down a words with friends hole or some kind of thing. I started it last season. Actually, I leave my phone in my trailer and I, uh, so the nanny has the 
second AD's phone number and also the makeup because there'll, there'll always be someone for makeup hovering. Um, and so, and that's it. That that is it. So it's in the trailer, which means unless I'm going back for a change of scene or wardrobe or lunch, it doesn't get picked up. And it has been transformative. I've really noticed the difference. I see the difference in my work, but I also see the difference it's made in this completely. I am not evangelical about this. It's just what works for me. And I felt dissatisfied with what I was seeing of my work on screen. And and, and a part of it I attributed to having had kids, feeling like I needed to be accessible. I never, ever used to bring my phone on set. And just that, that switch triggered. So I left it. And what I've noticed is this amazing ripple effect of my fellow actors with whom I work, you know, consistently on the show, now no longer bring their phones to set. Or if they do, they feel very self-conscious mm-hmm. pulling them out in front of me, even though I wouldn't say we a had, word or raise an eyebrow. But it's interesting. We had, the, you know, over the course of, of Mad Men was the, the advent of the smartphone as well mm-hmm. as the sure. blog and Twitter and Instagram and everything else, which are such phenomenal ways to waste time. And watching everybody kind of over the course of the nine years we did the show, smartphones became ubiquitous. Then Twitter became a thing. Then it was all about Instagram and Facebook and everyone taking pictures and posting. And and the show was so wildly secretive that it was a really hard thing to kind of keep that, keep that going. And, and I'm not on, on any social platform, Mm -hmm. so I don't, I I never had a problem uh, doing it. And because I was the lead, then that set the tone, set the tone. Um, but I always had the phone on. Right. And I, and I, same way, I was just like, oh, God, I like, I got, and I would remember looking up at one point, and I have all the lines in the scene, and I have six more pages of dialogue to do to in the day, and looking up in, like, the conference room, and every single person's on the phone. I know. It is what it is. It ain't going it away. Is. But, well, it's interesting, because John Wells, who, my husband did a show, you know, he was on Shameless for years, uh, was it one of the EPs on Shameless, uh, John Wells has a policy that, no, there are no cell phones on set. Yeah. And none of the crew do. So it's it's absolutely global. Yeah, so can, as a result, you can certainly Tarantino does that. Try and implement it, and it seems it seems really interesting to me because what I notice is that you, pe- you people start talking to each other again. Right. You really do you get conversations between actors between takes. We had a pretty good thing of of that um, on Mad Men. Mm-hmm. We we all were pretty social. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure. And people liked each other, and we yeah. had a real good community there. Yeah, of course. Um, but I, th- I do think it was because we started all of that before smartphones. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that helped enormously. Um, two last questions. What's the book that you know makes you look good when you recommend it? You're surefire. This will get you laid if you're reading it in a bar. But um, probably the right stuff. Okay. Really, even for ladies? Maybe not for ladies. Mm. Um, I'm talking the book that you just like. There's a cute girl, and you're like. I'll make sure I'm reading that book. Well, I mean, yeah, I think if you're a guy reading the right stuff, it looks that's pretty it, cool. That's true. That's true. Uh, I don't know if I... I, I have recommended it to women, uh, just because I think the writing's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take it. Yeah. The right stuff. Um, you get to take one book to your desert island. What is it? Mm, man, I so want to cheat and take that anthology that I got the right stuff. <laughs> you out. can, you can take an uh, anthology. Anthology is the best. Yeah. I, I love an anthology. Um, you can take an anthology. I, when I was a sophomore, or junior in college, I think junior, I remember reading this sort of this amazing, you know, and, and they're four inches thick, and they kind of cover the gamut of the anthology of American literature, and you get 
what's great about it is you just get a real sense of what's out there. Mm. And I would be so distracted in class because I wasn't really paying attention or something that I would just sort of start thumbing through. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, bits of play in there and bits yeah. of other stuff. And I, I used to read, I used to read books and imagine myself in them. Oh, really? Probably why I was wanted to be a, you know, an actor at an early age or mm-hmm. what got me started down that road. Especially books that they made movies. And then I could, you know, watch the movie and mm-hmm. go, oh, yeah. It's not how I saw it or whatever. Did you, know, did you know earlier you wanted to be an actor? I'm, maybe not specifically or, or, or uh, in any real... I probably didn't have a real idea that that was a real thing that you could do. Being from Normandy, Missouri mm-hmm. in the 80s. Like right. the, the, no, you have to be from Hollywood to do that. Right. Or New York. Right. Not thinking, of course, that no one's from there. Sure. You know, whatever. Uh, but I remember reading like Inherit the Wind and, and uh, Kill a Mockingbird and just these great old books and plays and stuff and really thinking like, oh, I should be, I should be this guy. Huh. As a eight-year-old, nine-year-old, twelve-year-old, yeah. fourteen-year-old, yeah. you know, just thinking like, yeah, I'd be a good Atticus, yeah, because you know, I'm sixteen. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've got that. I got this I got, I got experience. that. I got yeah. getting put a little yeah. baby powder in my hair on the side. Spit on that, yeah. Um, and then seeing, you know, like professionals do it, seeing Gregory Peck and seeing Spencer Tracy and seeing pe- these amazing actors and going like, oh, mm. that's what it is to understand and that's what it is to be that character and that's what it is to to really take the essence of the written word and make it uh, and perform it. Sure. So you're taking an anthology? I guess so. It's kind of a lame <laughs> It's not. It's not at all. It's not remotely. I think it's I a just, smart I just choice. I just, I couldn't, if I had to pick one, I just couldn't do it. Um, and, you know, I, I would like, I would like it to be, you know, a movable feast, so mm-hmm. to speak, you know, where you get to like... Get some variety, yeah. Hey! I thought of this in a while. I mean, yeah. I'm on a fucking desert island. It's gonna, it's <laughs> Make it last. Get all the variety you exactly. can. I'm with you, John. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. That was John Ham, and you've been listening to Bookish. If you like the show, subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, share one of the interviews on social media, send someone an email to tell them you liked it, pick up the phone and tell them. Wouldn't that be weird? All the music is created and performed by my multi-talented husband, Davey Holmes, and the show is produced by the amazing Joe Batanz. Join me next week for my interview with the writer, producer, and showrunner of Girls, Jenny Kona. Special thanks to John Hamm for hooking us up.